how do you respond to different things that happen in your life? I was thinking about that um, just throughout this last week as we're looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Um, and as we're in this series of James, I was thinking about how I respond to the various things that have happened in my own life. And I've had some people in my life be incredibly gracious to me, be incredibly kind. Uh, you know, I, I remember uh, we were living um, a different location, and I was passing a church, and we just had absolutely no money. They, they were a church that believed that you don't really pay your pastor very much to keep them humble and relying on God. And it worked. Um, we were living in a place where you didn't get to go to preschool. You had to pay to go to preschool just because of where we were. And the lowest one we could find was $11,995 a year. That was the cheapest one. So I was telling my wife, I was like, listen, we can homeschool. And she's like, but we don't know anything. And I'm like, yeah, but we can teach them colors, can't we? <laughs> you know, like, this is red. And so we were trying to figure that out. And we just had come to the place of where, you know what, our our kid's not going to go to preschool. What we're going to do is we're just going to know that that's a privilege for a lot of people, and we don't have that privilege, and that's okay. We're going to give God thanks for it. The week before classes started, we get a letter saying your preschool has been paid. Right? It's like, what? <laughs> Who's that crazy? And a family in the church had said, you know, we want to do this for you guys. And I go, what was my response to that? One, um, I asked them if they could do that for every kid, and then, I'm just kidding, I didn't really do that. I should have, but I didn't. Um, what I did is I wrote them an incredibly nice letter thanking them for their generosity and for what that meant to our family, right? You, you respond to what others do for you in different ways, and you go, okay, what does this really look like? The reason I'm talking about that, because there's, people have done things for you, even if they buy you dinner somewhere, or whatever that might be, or if they just write you a thank you letter. Somebody left a letter for me a couple of weeks ago on the desk, and it just said, thank you for what you do. That Literally, that's all it said. I was like, oh, perfect time. I, I go, what, how do we respond to different things in our life? How do you respond appropriately to the Son of God giving his life so that for eternity you may spend with him. I think that's a lot of the book of James. James, half-brother of Jesus, is writing the book of James. He's one of the primary leaders in the church in Jer at Jerusalem, okay? He's one of the primary leaders until he's murdered because of his faith. And in a lot of ways, yes, it's a, a series of tests to say, guys, this is what your life should be looking like. It's for all people who claim to know Jesus Christ. This is what your life should look like. Here are the tests that you're going to have, and here's how you should respond. And in a lot of ways, that's what James is doing. He's telling you how you should respond to the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to know how to respond to some things, especially when eternity is involved. So that's what James does. He goes, here, this is how you should respond. And he's been giving these tests. And he's letting them know, listen, Jesus, as soon as you say yes to Jesus Christ, 
And this is an assumption, by the way, that James makes of anybody who believes in Jesus. As soon as you say yes to Jesus Christ, what you're doing is this. You're saying, Jesus, I want you to jump into every part of my life. There is nothing that is off limits to you anymore. My personal life, my financial life, my marriage, my relationships, my friendships, my work, the way that I make decisions. There is nothing. If you have said yes to Jesus, nothing is now off limits to Jesus. You have surrendered all of that to the authority of the Son of God and James knows this and so now he's saying listen Jesus is jumping all into your business because nothing is set apart from him anymore you recognize that you're a new creation in Christ the old is gone the new has come you recognize that now you're living in a place of sanctification where you're continually allowing Holy Spirit to come into your life and to guide you and to grow you and to transform you so we want to be transformed followers of Jesus who passionately respond to God. And James knows this. And he's letting them know, listen, you can talk a certain way and you can act a certain way, but if you don't truly have faith, you're not a believer. If you don't truly go, I love Jesus, and now as a result of that love and that faith, you then want to live according to his word, don't fool yourself. You can't just act like a good person and expect God to be fooled. It's one of the struggles that we have today is because everybody wants to be moral. Well, I've said this before. Uh, while morality cannot be appropriately defined apart from Jesus, and I say that all the time, you cannot define a morality apart from Jesus Christ. Being a self-defined moral person doesn't make you a true believer. And James is saying, oh, listen, this is, this is more than that now. There's nothing that you can hold apart. There's nothing in your life that is held separate from Jesus Christ. That's why three times in the first chapter, I'm going to get to chapter two within the next 20 or 30 minutes, I promise. James chapter one, three different times. Three different times James comes and he says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. I referenced that last week. He's coming in. He's saying, don't be deceived. Don't think that just because you're a religious person that all of a sudden God is going to just overwhelm you. Because if you don't truly have faith, if you don't live it out in every part of your life, there's a struggle. I want to read something uh, to you from Tim Keller, who uh, was a pastor in New York at Redeemer Press. And he's just an amazing author to me. Um, this is what he says. He says, a merely religious person who believes God will favor him because of his morality will ordinarily have contempt for the outcast. They'll say, I worked hard to get where I am. And so, any, so, so can anyone else. That's the language of the moralist heart. But the language of a Christian's heart, and this is a summarization of what he's saying, but he says, here's the language of a Christian's heart. I am only where I am by sheer and unmerited mercy of God. And so we start to evaluate our own life and we start to look at how are we responding to the overwhelming love of what Christ has done for us. And we have to evaluate that and very carefully go, wait a second, am I living to be a good person so that I can check off the boxes? Or am I living in a place of being overwhelmed by the presence of God in my life? And so James, and I think he's raising the bar. 
I think he's raising the bar. And so here's this series of tests of what it means to be moving forward, living forward in Christ. First test he has, early part of James chapter 1, is how, here's how, how do you respond to trials? Second test is how do you respond to temptation? Another test is how do you react to the word of God? And then here, here's a test. He, he goes, are you partial? Do you play favorites? Do you play favorites? James chapter 2. Proverbs 24, 23. I want to share that with you very briefly. It's a great one for you to write down. Proverbs 24, 23. These also are sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Is not good. 1 John 3, 16 through 17. And it will be here for you. It says this is how... We know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I told the story before where for a couple of years I worked um, during the Olympics in 1996 in Atlanta, and I worked with a lot of homeless people uh, while doing that. My office was downtown, literally a block and a half from there. The bombing took place. Um, and so I spent a lot of time down there, and I had some guys that, were, that I got to know pretty well who were homeless. And w- what amazed me about that were the words that people would yell out to them as we would be sitting there or even as I would see them. People would call out things that I just found to be just truly harmful to any person. People would say, you just need to get a job. Right? And, and all types of things like that. And listen, uh, we can go anywhere, and every Christmas we take food and stuff like that downtown, and we walk around the streets, and my kids give stuff away and to, to homeless people. And the, the thing that gets me about this whole process is everybody has their own opinion of why someone is hurting, whether they're homeless or if they're suffering, whatever it is. Everybody has their own opinion. If someone else is hurting financially and, and someone says, hey, maybe we should help them out, someone may say, well, if they would have just spent money more wisely the rest of their life, we wouldn't have to be helping them. They need to learn their lesson the hard way. And what's amazing is about with homeless people, people go, well, some of them want to be homeless. I'll tell you now, some of them do want to be homeless. I had friends who would say, I just like this life. This is what I want to do. Now, it was a long time ago, but those are the words that I would hear from people, right? But some of them are truly just hurting, and they want to be helped, and yet we're too busy judging them rather than helping them. And yet the Word of God tells us very clearly, my brothers show no partiality. How we react to people is a test, This is what James 2 is really going to be helping us with. How you react to anybody in any situation is a test of who you are in Christ Jesus. And what it's telling us is that there's no place for favoritism in the heart of God or his people. And so he jumps in, verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, come over here, sit right here, here's a great place for you, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? God came to save everyone. And this is so partiality and favoritism. Those are a couple of words. When it says show no partiality, partiality or favoritism or prejudice. Those are all words that are used in different translations to help us understand what this is truly trying to communicate. Okay, It is so deeply ingrained in us. Showing partiality. right? We end up hanging out with people who are more like us. That's what we end up doing. And so then as a result of that, what takes place is we look at other people who are not like us, and we have reasons that, well, that's why they do that, and there are typically reasons why they're messed up. And we see that in all aspects of life. This is real life 101 by James. He says, guys, listen, you keep showing favoritism, you keep showing partiality, stop. And it goes in every single direction. I've lived in one of the wealthiest zip codes in this country, and I've also lived in one of the poorest zip codes in this country, literally. And the favoritism and the partiality toward rich and toward poor both ways exist the same. And he says, have none to do with it. Have nothing to do with it. He says, my brothers... uh, James, whenever he's about to introduce something that he, I, this is what I think James is doing. Whenever he's about to talk about something that he thinks is going to ruffle other people's feathers, like really get them irritated, he starts with my brothers. He like reminds them. That's what I do. I'm like, hey, friend, please change clothes or whatever it is. That's what we do, right? He, he, it's soft entry into confrontation. And so he, my brothers, show no partiality, show no favoritism, show no prejudice. Don't do it anymore. He does it in chapter, he does the same thing in chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 11. He does it again. Hey, brothers, hey, be careful. And James calls us out. And the, one of the things he lets us know is that partiality, friends, if you're showing and playing favorites, partiality is contrary, it contradicts faith. It contra- so you can't come and say, hey, I'm a believer, I love the Lord, but I'm going to play favorites and this is how I want to do it. Right? I know the pain of people playing favorites because I grew up with an older brother who played football and every single time I was the last one picked. Literally, I was the last one picked. Because my brother was three years older and all his friends would come over and be like, let's play football. And then my brother and one of the other guys who was awesome at athletics would say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm the coach. And so then they go, we want that guy, we want that guy, we want that guy, we want that guy. And every single time at the end, what do they say? I'll take Joel. Anybody feel sorry for me? <laughs> you just showed partiality. Right? We, we do it all the time. 
We do it all the time. And, and it starts at a young age because why? Part of what this text is about is stop showing favoritism, especially when it benefits you personally. Right? I was last to be chosen because it would not have benefited their team to pick the guy who weighed 63 pounds. Right? It, that wasn't going to help them. And so what he's saying is no, especially because that's what we're doing. We keep showing favoritism. We keep showing partiality, especially when it benefits us. We're going to pick the person who we think will benefit us the most. And James is coming in and saying, no, if you're a true believer, you're not going to do that because partiality, favoritism is nowhere to be found in the heart of God. It's why the religious leaders of the day were so upset with Jesus because he kept doing what? Showing no partiality to anyone. He would come and say, this is what you can do. It doesn't matter when it was. He would come to every man, every woman and say, I love you. He's saying, get rid of it. Partiality contradicts faith. It's contrary to faith. It means that we're making distinctions among people. And those are people that God has made as equal. And God is totally impartial, impartial in dealing with people. And we know that we categorize people. Don't we categorize them? We automatically categorize people by the car that they drive. Right? Somebody was asking, one day, one day I'm going to have to buy a new vehicle I was talking with some friends. I always process which vehicle to buy, so when I end up buying it, um, eight years later, I'm confident in my decision. And I'm processing, and, you know, I've got kids. Here's one thing about kids. They grow up, and they want stuff, like vehicles to drive and things like that. And so I'm going, okay, in a couple years, I probably need to give my car. It's got almost 200,000 miles on it. By then, 250. I'll let the kids drive that. And then I can get something new and nice. And people are like, what are you going to drive? I was like, well, I can tell you what I want, but I can't drive that because I'll be judged too much. The irony is I could buy a $70,000 pickup truck today and everybody would be like, that's awesome. I want one. But if I drove a $40,000 BMW, people would say I make too much money. Wrong or right. It's because we play, we play favors. We, we show favoritism. We make judgments on people because of the car that they drive. We make judgments on people because of where they camp. Oh, well, you don't go to the UP. You're not a real camper. Someone told me that. I don't go to the UP because I don't camp. Now judge me. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Ritz-Carlton? Judge, go ahead, I'm saying it so you can judge me. I've never even stayed at one. Right? And it's, we, we judge people on whether or not we believe that they're practical in the decisions that they make. We judge people on their attire. We judge people all the time. We judge people on where they went to school and what type of education that they have. We judge people on their seriousness of reading the word of God. And here in this passage, what we see is he's using wealth and a lack of wealth, poverty, as an example of how people show favoritism. As we continue to read through this, we also learn and we see 
in verse 4, I've already read it earlier, but it says, Have you then not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here's one of the things that James 2 verse 4 tells us about showing favoritism and partiality. This will wake your heart up, okay? Is that partiality, judging others, favoritism, it reveals a judging heart. That's what it tells us. It reveals a judging heart that you've already made assumptions about someone. You've already determined certain things about someone probably before you even have gotten to know them. That's happened to me so many times in life. Because everybody assumes they know me intimately because they hear me speak on a weekly basis. And I go, man, we make so many judgments. We make so many assumptions about other people, don't we? And he's telling us that partiality, it reveals a judging heart, which he has already defined as a heart that is not of God. That's not of God. And you know what's behind it? Evil thoughts. Evil thinking. I'm not making that up. That's verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with, with evil thoughts toward others? And we, say, we find the same word. In, in Romans chapter 2, Paul uses the exact same word to speak about this partiality. And because at that point in Romans chapter 2, there's this huge problem between the, the, the Greeks and the Jews and them coming together all to be with one another. And all this partiality is taking place. And in, in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, here comes Paul and he says, But God, for God, shows no partiality. Here's the problem with favoritism and partiality is we always assume that someone else has a bigger problem with, problem with it than we do. And so we never have self-examination of how we ourselves are struggling. How are you showing favoritism? How are you showing partiality? I'm telling you now, I'm, I tell the, the leadership here quite often that the church will be taken advantage of. We give, we give a lot back in benevolence. We want to do that. You guys are so incredibly generous. We'll give away tens of thousands of dollars this year in benevolence to people in this community. It's remarkable to see your generosity with that. But I'll also tell you this. People will take us for granted. We will do the very best that we can to make sure that we're making wise decisions because the Word of God says we should do that as well. But people will take us for granted. People will take advantage of us. And they will possibly misuse resources even though we won't give cash and we only pay certain ways and everything else. But God says our response to that is this, keep loving other people. And that's what we will do. Because that's what God's called us to. The thing that really stood out to me, God has 
convicted me in some pretty enormous ways this week. Um, I always know that when I wake up on a Sunday and go, I really don't want to preach this. God, you've convicted me enough. It's because in Greek, that word evil actually means vicious. You are vicious in your thinking. You are vicious in your thoughts. Who are you? So then he says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? What he's saying there real quick is that the irony, there's some irony here. Because the ones that you typically favor are the rich. But yet typically the rich are the ones who take the most advantage of you. Aren't they the ones, verse 7, aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's one of the things that we see about partiality, is that partiality or favoritism, it, it is dishonoring. It's dishonoring to God. Very clearly, we see that jump off the page. It dishonors those who were created in the image of God. And the thing that really just gets me riled up about this is it tells us that in verse 7, aren't they the ones who slandered the name of Jesus Christ, whose name you bear? You see, back then, especially in the Old Testament, but all through these times, to, to be identified with the name, when it says, hey, aren't you identified with the name of someone? It's saying that you're a part of that family, that you fully are with them. Like, that was a big deal. It was a, it was a really, really big deal. And they're saying, aren't you tied to the name of Jesus? Don't you recognize that they're slandering his name? Like, that's when you get really upset, Right? Anybody see a football game yesterday before the game ever started? Somebody kicking the middle of the other person's field. Anybody see that? I'm not calling names. Say, and, and then people have gotten so upset about that. I remember there was a guy, maybe you know the NFL, Terrell Owens. I think it was Terrell Owens. I'm not even sure, but I remember somebody, Dallas Cowboys, went to the middle of the star in the middle of the 50-yard line, right? And they started, like, spitting on it and jumping up and down on it. And there was this huge ruckus because how dare they dishonor the Dallas Cowboys. I wish we would get so upset about people dishonoring the name of Jesus. And we're doing it. When we show partiality, we're doing it when we show favoritism. We're doing it when we're prejudiced against other people. I don't care. I do not, and I'm going to say this so directly. I don't care what your parents and grandparents and grandparents taught you nearly as much as I care about what Jesus has instructed. Now, before you judge me, let me say it again. If my parents taught me the wrong way, it doesn't mean I get a pass from God on living in a way that is not honoring to him. I am now tied to the word of God more than I am tied to anything else. 
And that's something that we have got to look in the mirror and go, wait, where are we? How are we in this process? And what does it mean for our life? One of the greatest opportunities that believers has today to really exemplify Jesus is to show people love who look nothing and act nothing like us. Because trust me, they don't expect it. I remember it all too well in one of my previous churches, and it was the wealthy church around, and all of a sudden I say, guys, this is not how we're going to conduct ourselves because we already have all the rich people, and there are a lot of people hurting in this community. And all of a sudden I started changing things up. You can only imagine. And I started getting so many letters of hatred. The people sitting beside me smell. The people who are coming here aren't honoring God because they didn't wear a tie or whatever it is. If, they don't, if you have to wear a tie to go to heaven, we're all in a mess of hurt. What he does, he says in verse 8, he says, yes, indeed, it is good. When you obey the royal law that's found in the scriptures. A royal law was an edict. It was an imperial edict of saying this is what you must do. And we see that throughout scripture by the way. And what Jesus even does that going back and he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19 to do that. He's letting us know even in the life of Jesus at different times again. You better make sure you get this right. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. What he says, in my own way, that you've heard numerous times, is stop seeing others for who they are in themselves and start seeing others for who they can become in Christ. Jesus is perfect at taking the broken and making them whole. Amen? And when we see the broken and the hurting and those who may not even just be like us, what we do is instead of judging and showing partiality, we actually have an opportunity to see God work. We have an opportunity to see God do something beyond ourselves. Because if our faith is moving forward, then that means it's helping others to also move forward in their faith. Here's a good question for you. Do you see others for how they need to be fixed? Or do you see others for how they can be cared for? There's a difference. But uh, is it, I, just let me close with this. Um, I was going to go chapter 2, 1 through 13. Made a good decision on not trying to get all the way through that. Verse 8 um, really stands out to me. And I just want you to process this today as we close. I've already called it out. It says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It was the second greatest commandment, Right? The first greatest commandment, very similar to the Shema. We've spoken about that numerous times. 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. But here he says, love your neighbor as, as you love yourself. Why do we struggle in doing that? When I, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you with something today. Um, I want to encourage you and challenge you to think about who you are and what God has done for you. See, I firmly believe that the love that we're willing to show others and the grace that we're willing to show others and the mercy that we're willing to show others and the kindness that we're willing to show others is directly correlated to the love that we have received from God. And the ones who show the most favoritism, the most partiality, are the ones often who have not experienced the understanding that they are broken without Jesus Christ. They think more highly of themselves than they ought to, is what Scripture tells us. You ever heard about seeing the speck in a brother's eye when you have a plank in your own? And I look at that and I am reminded that the more you recognize, the more we recognize where we stand without Jesus, the more you recognize where you stand without the saving power of Jesus Christ, the more you will care, care for others like Jesus did. Right, just let that sink in for a moment. The more you recognize where you are without Christ, Christ has saved your soul. As soon as you say yes to Jesus Christ and you surrender to his authority, truly surrender, that means you have no business that is not Jesus' business. Hear that. Please hear that. I know that we're all private in this entire country, and we don't want certain people to know about certain things, primarily finances and sex. Nothing is off limits from Jesus Christ. And the more you recognize where you stand without Jesus, that you are broken, that you're a sinner, and that by the grace of God, Jesus Christ has saved your soul. The more you recognize your own hurt without Christ, the more you will care for others like Jesus cared for others. Because you know of your own brokenness as well. James is coming, and he's jumping in. And listen, here's a guy who is one of the primary leaders of the church in Jerusalem doing amazing things. And he's writing to all the believers, and he says, Listen, you got no business in your life anymore apart from Jesus. You better reflect him. You better stop showing partiality. You better stop showing favoritism, because it's one of our greatest opportunities we have to demonstrate the love and the passion of Jesus Christ. Like he, I can imagine, you think I get riled up, it ain't nothing compared to James, I think. Oh my goodness. He is calling it out, and he's letting people know, listen, we have an opportunity to make sure that everybody knows the love of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a desire to do that, you probably don't understand your need for the love of Christ. Will you love the way Christ has loved?
That is what I want to do. I want to just pray for you. But I'm going to ask you just to think about someone in your own life right now. Think about a name of someone you know that you have shown partiality toward in a way that you should not have. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask that privately you, you pray to God and ask for forgiveness. And then I'm going to ask that you pray to God to give you an opportunity this week to show them the love of Jesus. Let's pray. name. Amen. Amen. If you would stand with me. Thank you. I'm about to do the, the most awkward transition ever, so just get ready for that. I'm just calling it out. You ever played the hokey pokey? You put your Okay, more of you know that in the Lord's Prayer, but it's okay. <laughs> and then you put your left hand in, you put your left hand out. Right foot, left foot, backside, head. James is jumping in and he's saying, he doesn't want just this. He doesn't want just this. He doesn't want just this. He wants it all. He wants it all. He wants it all. There's nothing in your life that you should be holding away from Jesus Christ. He wants it all. And James is yelling at the believers and saying, you don't, you don't get it. You keep trying to live for Jesus over here and over here. You keep living for self. He wants it all and he deserves it all. What are you holding back? And will you give it to him? Will you give it to him? You know what it is in your life right now. I bet you the majority of you are already going, man, finances, I live for myself. Or it's a relationship, I will not forgive even though it happened eight years ago. Whatever it is, you're holding on to something. He said, give me everything, for I have given you everything. His name is worthy. Behold the glory of the almighty God. He wants it all. Will you give it to him? Let's worship that God with all that we have. And let's just jump into it. Will you join us?